very, uh, uh, I think, sometimes difficult uh, uh, passage of Scripture, and uh, probably many places today, preachers are preaching Christmas uh, messages. Uh, I choose to continue on uh, where we're at. I think uh, we used an illustration last uh, week that uh, lends itself to the Christmas time with Joseph and Mary uh, being, uh, uh, Mary being with child and Joseph wanting to uh, divorce her. And we said that was in the Jewish um, uh, way of doing things in betrothal. And uh, so we're talking about marriage, remarriage, uh, divorce, and so forth. And uh, we come to verse seven, uh, 17 uh, through 24. And uh, I'm reminded of a farmer who visited a shopping center. This is Christmas time, you know. Uh, this farmer came into town to uh, uh, do some Christmas shopping. I don't know. He was at a shopping center. But he said, I don't know when I've seen so many things I could do without. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that about the truth? You know, you go someplace and there's just so much stuff uh, that uh, you uh, think, well, it's hard to find someone, though, who is content with what they have and where they are in life. Uh, now, unless you've been in the military or in the ministry, uh, you probably won't hear someone say, I used to live in Kansas and then in North in South Carolina, and then back to Kansas, and then in Wisconsin, and then in Illinois, and then in Wisconsin again, and then back to Kansas, and then in Indiana, and now I lived in, in Wisconsin. Uh, kind of the story of our life. But uh, we, we like Wisconsin, and like Paul, I've learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Uh, but uh, the story is told in ancient times of a a uh, king who would suffer through a certain illness and was advised by wise men that he could be cured if, uh, if the shirt of a contented man were brought to, to him to wear. And so the search began for the contented man, and after a long search, they found a man that was truly content, but he had no shirt. Well, in the text here of First uh, Corinthians 7 and verse 17 through 24, Paul is dealing with the matter of marriage, and when you read the passage, it's almost like he switches gears right in the middle and uh, suddenly begins to talk about something that seemingly has nothing to do with marriage. Uh, but the passage primarily deals with learning to be content with one's place in life. And in relation to marriage, this is what Paul is emphasizing, the permanence of the marriage relationship. And he immediately picks up on the marriage theme in verse 25, but between verses 16 and uh, uh, verse 25, he interjects a truth that has the aim of dealing with the discontentment among Corinthian believers. Uh, there are several areas of discontentment that are prevalent uh, in the Corinthian church. A marital status was one of such area. And then there are those that wanted to change their marital status from single to married and married to single or being married to an unsaved spouse or to a saved spouse. So Paul is dealing with here staying in the will of God, staying in the will of God. And he deals with this subject of discontentment as well as other areas of discontentment by putting this truth in our text that seems to be all about marriage, but then he also, right in the middle of it, he puts in a section here on discontentment. 
And I think it's appropriate because that's what happens when there's difficulty many times in a marriage and uh, there's a desire for divorce or remarriage. It's people not being content where God has put them. So it's a wonderful passage, I think, to help us understand that God wants us to uh, bloom, so to speak, where we are. Uh, And I want you to notice the passage this morning. First, we see the assignment of God's will in verse 17. The assignment of God's will. But God has hath dis- distributed to every man as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. When one begins to understand God's ways and God's work and God's will as it pertains to every believer, one realizes that there are no accidents with God. There are only appointments and assignments. And I believe that uh, uh, who we are and where we are in the part of God's work in our life, God has a will for every life, and our lot, so to speak, in life is allowed by God. It's arranged by God, it's appointed by God, and it's assigned by God. And so we need to, first of all, understand God's will. We need to understand God's will. And we read here verse 17, but God... Uh, as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one. The word distributed speaks of that which has been apportioned or assigned. Paul declares that God has assigned certain things as they pertain to our life. Uh, Paul speaks of God's assignment in life as a call. In fact, seven times in our text, Paul speaks of God's assignment as a call or a calling. You notice there in verse 17... It says, as the Lord hath called everyone. Look at it, verse 18. Is any man called? In verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling. In verse 21, art thou called? In verse 22, for he that is called. Verse 22 again, likewise also he that is called. And verse 24, brethren, let every man wherein he is called. So you can see he's used this terminology multiple times in this passage. But then also notice that Paul places a great emphasis on God's assignment and God's call as involving every believer. In verse 17, he says, every man. Verse 17, every one. Verse 20, every man. And verse 24, every man. So God has a will for every believer's life. Every believer is included and none are excluded. And therefore, it's important that each believer understand God's will. We read Ephesians 5 and verse 17, Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And we need uh, not only need to understand God's will, but we also need to undertake God's will. In verse 17, he says, So let him walk. We are not only to understand God's will, but to undertake that will. We are to walk in the will of God. Paul is simply saying that we are to do God's will. We are to live our lives in the will of God. I think of Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 where it says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Someone has written this, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Real service is what I desire. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, but please don't ask me to sing in the choir. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I like to see things come to pass, 
But don't ask me to teach boys and girls, dear Lord. I'd rather just stay in my class. I'll do what you want me to do, dear Lord. I long for the kingdom thrive. I'll give you my nickels and dimes, dear Lord, but please don't ask me to tithe. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. I'm busy just now with myself, dear Lord. I'll help you some other day. Well, sadly, that's the attitude of too many people, too many Christians. Instead, we ought to say, we ought to pray to the Lord and say, not my will, but thine be done. Uh, we uh, would, should both understand and undertake God's assignment and God's call. Notice, secondly, the acceptance of God's call. There were some in the Corinthian church that were discontented. They were dissatisfied with God's assignment and God's call for their life. And Paul gives two examples of this dissatisfaction. First, we see in verse 18, cultural dissatisfaction. Notice it there in verse 18. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. The first illustration that Paul uses here had to do with the identity of a person as a Jew or a Gentile. The terms circumcised and uncircumcised were commonly used to represent the Jew and the Gentile. The circumcised represented the Jew and the uncircumcised represented the Gentile. It would seem that some Jews that had been saved wanted to appear as Gentiles and some Gentiles wanted to appear as Jews. Paul simply says Gentiles become Christians are not to become Jews and Jews that become Christians are not to become Gentiles. And then notice in verse 19, he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Paul says that such a thing was unnecessary for circumcision was not required for either salvation or blessings. It had no spiritual significance for Christians. What was important was keeping God's commandments. And therefore, Paul then goes on to say in verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. So in short, Paul was saying, if God made you a Jew, then you'd be content with uh, being a Jew. And if God made you a Gentile, then you'd be content with being a Gentile. Well, and I would say to today's society, especially to our younger generation, if God made you a boy, then be content to be a boy. If God made you a girl, then be content to be a girl. Of course, there are those who want to argue about that. But the Bible clearly states in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. The image of God created he him, male and female created he them. I uh, know that when you go sometimes to the doctor's office and you fill out your history and so forth, and you, they ask you the question, are you male or female? And you mark whichever is appropriate, right? I saw one questioner that says, I identify as male or female. They've changed the, uh, the things to uh, say, uh, allow people to say, well, I, I, I'm really a man, but I identify as being a girl. Well, that's a, the society which we live in. But God says, if you're a Gentile, be content to be a Gentile. If you're a Jew, be content to be a Jew. If you're a man, be content to be a Content to be a man. If you're a girl or a woman, be content to be a, a woman. 
You ever stopped and thought about why you were born in America? I would assume most everyone here has been born in America. There may be some who were not born in America. That's certainly possible. I, uh, uh, that's the way uh, our society is today. Many times we have people that were born in another country and they've come and lived here and they've become citizens. But uh, those of us who've been born here ever wondered why we were born here? Ever wondered why you were born in whatever country you were born in? Ever stopped and thought about why uh, you are the uh, color of skin that you are? Uh, we read and hear about certain countries where uh, people are starving and living in horrible conditions, and every one of us could have easily been born in that same kind of country, but we could have easily been born in some jungle someplace instead of being born in a country like the United States. Now, I believe that who we are falls under God's assignment for us. <coughs> and let me show you what I'm talking about by directing our attention to a few lines in the Scriptures. And uh, one of them would be Jeremiah chapter 1. If you can just hold your place in 1 Corinthians and turn with me. I know uh, Jeremiah is in the Old Testament, and uh, it may not be easy to find right off the bat. But Jeremiah chapter 1. And I want us to look at verse 5 just for a moment here. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. The Bible says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God told Jeremiah of how he had set him apart for a very specific work. He had been sanctified or ordained, chosen by God to be a prophet. But notice, when all this, this was assigned by God. It was before Jeremiah was even born. Now among the claims God makes is that for one thing, he knew Jeremiah before he was ever conceived. Uh, we're in the mind of God before we're ever in the belly of our mother. Also among God's claims was that he was the one who formed Jeremiah. The word form there speaks of the work uh, like a potter who molds and shapes the clay into a vessel that he wants. So we see that God assigned our lot in life before we were ever born. He sanctified us or set us apart to be what he desired for our life before we were ever born. Now, all of this tells me that God determined everything about my life, everything about me, who I am, how I am, my skin color, my personality, my gender, all that is determined by God. Hold, uh, go on back to uh, Psalm 139 for a moment. Here's another wonderful passage uh, concerning this in Psalm 139. And uh, we'll look at uh, verse 13, first of all. Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. The word thou there is highly emphatic. The, the psalmist was saying, You, Lord, formed me, not Mother Nature. I did not just happen. You, God, were responsible for my formation. The word possessed there means 
to create, to form, to originate. And so behind every individual person is a creating work of God. Now the word reigns in that verse speaks of our inward parts, our inner organs. Uh, literally uh, means kidney. Uh, the psalmist was saying that all of our vital organs originated with God. The word covered there means to entwine or to speaks of knitting together. The psalmist said, in my mother's womb is my embryonic fetal form. God weaved, knitted, formed me as he wanted me to be. And as the psalmist thinks of such truth, he declares in verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. And then we notice verse 15. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. The word substance speaks of our body. God formed both the inward and the outward. The words curiously wrought speak of uh, the variegated colors like you would see in a tapestry or fine needlepoint. And like a tapestry of many colors, God fitted and formed us just as he wanted us. The phrase made in secret is idiomatic phrase for a place of protection or concealment. It's a description of the mother's womb. The psalmist was declaring that in that protected place where I was concealed, God oversaw my pre-birth days as he fashioned and formed me. And then notice verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. In thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as that there was none of them. The psalmist spoke of our unperfect perfect substance. That word substance is different from the one in verse 15. It lit literally means embryo. The psalmist said, my embryo was not hid from you. You watched over me in embryonic form and fashioned and formed me as you desired. And it says in the latter part of verse 16, what I am and who I am was fashioned by you even when I did not exist. I understand that, uh, and I've known this, uh, General Motors, and I don't know if they still do this, they have the emblem, Body by Fisher. At least they used to. It's been a while since I've owned a government motors uh, vehicle, but I mean General Motors vehicle. But they, uh, we, carry, we carry the trademark Body by God. What we are and who we are is more than just heredity. It's a work of God. More than our parents, God determined if we would be tall, would be short, big-boned, little-boned, red-headed, brown-headed, even bald-headed, blue-eyed, brown-eyed, whatever. God has a, is responsible for our bodily features, as well as our personalities, our bents, and so forth, as much as anyone. And all this includes our skin color. I used to say race, but there is only one race, and that's the human race. A person is white because it's God's will. A person is black or brown or red or yellow according to God's assignment. No color is better than any other. We are all who we are and what we are by God's will. No one would wish that they were something else or someone else. You are who and what you are by God's plan, 
God's purpose and God's assignment. Now, we also see here, back in 1 Corinthians, not only their, uh, their cultural uh, dissatisfaction, but their social discontentment. Look at verse 21, back in 1 Corinthians 7. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, for if thou mayest be free, use it rather. The second illustration Paul gives concerns slaves. He speaks directly of those who are saved, and yet they were still slaves. He says to those who are in such positions, care not for it. That phrase means do not worry about it. He adds that if you are able to be free, then take your freedom. But if you're not, you do not have the opportunity to be free, you are still free in the Lord. Verse 22, in case someone who is free was gloating about not being a slave, slave, he reminds them that they are slaves of Christ. In either case, free or slave, we've been bought with a price, and we actually belong to God. Verse 22 says, And uh, for he that is called to be uh, in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. You know, we hear and we know of people who are born well and wealthy and healthy, and then we, uh, they contract something like muscular dystrophy. I heard about a 14-year-old boy with MD. He was a healthy boy until he was seven years old. He used to run with all, other kind, uh, all the other boys and girls around the church, but now he was confined to a wheelchair. And I confess to you, I don't understand why one is stricken with such a disease and others are not. I could not help but think about a young man like that and ask, well, why him and not me? I also think of three men who are all the uh, same age as I am. My college roommate, our missionary Dennis Grohl, and my daughter-in-law's father, John Tuttle, who've gone to be with the Lord in the last couple of months. And again, I'm thinking, why them and not me? You know, it's hard to understand, to accept. We know that God, except that we know that God is behind every twist and turn in life. Paul was saying to those who are of certain social class, your place in life may not be what you choose or you want, but all of life is assigned by God. You know, we need to learn to accept what God assigns us in life. Now, from a human perspective, it would seem that God is unfair and unjust. And sometimes it would seem from a human standpoint that God is cruel. Yet from a heavenly perspective, we know that God is a loving God who doeth all things well. If we approached our place in life as trust from God, we would be, have a different attitude about our, our lives, wouldn't we? And regardless of where we are, we should live for the Lord. We should honor Him. We belong to Him. And so it's, He has the right to assign us whatever He chooses. And so we need to accept God's will. Then thirdly, there is the abiding in God's will. Now Paul tells us twice to abide. The word abide simply means to stay or to remain. We're to remain, to stay, to abide in His will on a daily basis. Let me say in closing just a couple of things about abiding in God's will. To abide, we must stay committed to God. 
Verse 20 says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. We're to be committed to doing God's will and staying in God's will. We're not to be a Jonah that runs from God's assignment, but we're to stay in his will. And also, we, are, we must stay close to God. Look down at verse 24. Verse 24 says, Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. We are to abide with God. We're to stay close to him and live in unbroken fellowship with God. In 1 John 2 and verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Our life is in his hands from conception to the coffin. The truth of the matter is our life has been in his hands from eternity past. And we may not understand why God's assignments are what they are, but he is God and his will is always with purpose and with plan. I think of Fanny Crosby. She left us more than 8,000 hymns, such as, All the Way My Savior Leads Me, Blessed Assurance, I Am Thine, O Lord, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross, Praise Him, Praise Him, Rescue the Perishing, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, To God Be the Glory. Those are just a few of the 8,000. But Fanny Crosby was blind from six weeks old due to a mistreatment by a doctor. And yet she viewed her assignment in life as a part of God's plan. Listen to what she said in her autobiography. Although it may have been a blunder on the physician's part, it was no mistake of God's. I verily believe it was his intention that I should live my days in physical darkness so as to be better prepared to sing his praises and incite others so to do. I could not have written thousands of hymns, many of which, if you will pardon me for repeating it, are sung all over the world, if I had been hindered by the distractions of seeing all the interesting and beautiful objects that would have been presented to my notice." And in the words of our text here, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he has called you. Let's bow our heads in prayer.